0: hello i'm harry hello i'm rory and you're listening to games on film
1: we're back. It's on like Donkey Kong. I am Harry. That is Rory. (laughs) I point to the vague internet distance. We're doing The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters.
0: I think this is our first documentary then that we've covered on Games on Film. I'm not sure how many more we will cover. There are a few other notable video game movie documentaries out there. Um, But generally speaking, most of them are sort of the talking heads going over the history of video games, interviewing key industry players sort of feel, which I think might be a little bit dry compared to others, because this is very much a documentary which has a very strong story attached to it.
1: There's definitely some goodies or baddies. I mean, it is kind of one of the big video game documentaries i mean i actually i retweeted today a uh documentary on kickstarter about first person shooters but i think it is going to be as you say just lots of clips and 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 a history and we're not who are we to argue of history <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this also came out i think in a sort of golden age of documentaries i just think in, in this sort of early to mid 2000s we had this and i remember like, there was bowling for columbine super size me it was kind of like a interesting time for documentaries in general and it's really funny looking back um then and and seeing how it's sort of aged in the meantime
0: yeah there's definitely and i think uh some of the participants would argue the approach to this documentary is that How much of it is entirely accurate and how much of it is more what we would associate with calling constructed reality um, Mm. nowadays in terms of the editing and in terms of how certain characters, as you might call them, rather than actual living human beings. Yeah, spoilers for reality (laughs) in this episode. But uh, yeah, how certain key players in the documentary are portrayed whether it's in a sort of good light or a negative light and yeah the the idea of you know this was released in 2007 so yes as you say with the sort of Michael Moore stuff with the Morgan Spurlock stuff you know this this idea of um you know not edutainment necessarily but like you know entertaining documentaries which would do you know very well at the box office and draw crowds when usually people would associate documentary as being a very kind of like stuffy and often very worthy um pursuit so this definitely is uh emblematic of a of a a period of documentary which i think perhaps still continues to this day to an extent i think you see it a lot with um uh, the kind of stuff that gets released on Netflix every week. And um <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna think Tiger King. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I, I think it definitely you could imagine King of Kong like Tiger King being a sort of series on Netflix which would like draw in viewers and people would be talking about it all summer, um, if that were the case. But it's not. It exists already. And while the uh Fallout, to a certain extent, of the documentary rumbles on, and we might get into that a little bit later. There's quite a lot to discuss about the impact, and I think the film itself, uh, when it comes back to The King of Kong. But um, we're talking about The King of Kong specifically because it's actually the 40th anniversary of the original Donkey Kong arcade game this month. Mm -hmm. And I think there are a few games which have had such an impact. Obviously, games released in the sort of late 70s and early 80s, by virtue of being at the time, the early days of video games, you're going to get a lot of firsts. But Donkey Kong, along with you know the likes of Pac-Man and Space Invaders, is definitely one of the kind of major key titles in terms of Not only its popularity and success at the time, but also, you know, the impact and legacy that it has. And perhaps most notably being that it was a Nintendo arcade game. It was Shigeru Miyamoto's sort of first game as designer um, and director. And with that, it's not only the debut of Donkey Kong, of course, uh, an iconic character in his own right, but also the debut of Jumpman, who would become renamed mario and you know there are very few video game characters that could um compete in terms of iconic status and pauline of course mayor of new donk city it's donkey kong the arcade sensation and now you can play it at home
2: hang on sweetheart i'm gonna save you Now you can play Donkey Kong on your ColecoVision, Atari VCS, or in television video game system. Donkey Kong has multiple screens, just like the arcade game. You're not gonna stop me, you stupid ape! Play Donkey Kong on your ColecoVision, Atari VCS,
1: or in television video game system.
2: Don't worry, darling. I'll save you.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking about Donkey Kong's cachet as you're talking about that because. It's weird because it's it's so iconic, and it obviously riffs off the whole King Kong thing. But I just wonder how many people like Donkey Kong as a quote unquote person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's the Donkey Kong games on the SNES, which were super popular. But I'm I'm just interested how they there's like a Super Nintendo Land in Universal Studios in Japan and. I think the next step of even though I don't think it's even open due to covid restrictions I believe the there's the, the next path to the land is going to be a donkey kong land and I'm like I don't even know if I like gorillas that much <laughs> like if I guess the whole thing is if they wear a tie if I went into London zoo and they put a tie <laughs> on the gorilla uh, I would find that absolutely marvelous
0: <laughs> but you're the you're the one who pitched a Donkey Kong movie in our EGX Res live show. Oh, I
1: did, didn't I?
0: I think you've got the Donkey Kong obsession.
1: I think I just want to see a gorilla thrown off a skyscraper. <laughs> 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 clawing at the empty air, and um, it was not beauty that killed the beast. It was that twat up there. <laughs> <laughs> Kicked him in the nards, pushed him off the construction site.
0: I don't know. I think watching <laughs> you wrestle a silverback on top of a skyscraper, <laughs> I, don't, fight. I don't think you're going to uh, be the one left standing. Rolling up my sleeves. <laughs> I, I've
1: got this. I've got this. And Pauline's like, I, I don't think you do, mate.
0: <laughs> it's, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned Super Nintendo World and, and and things because, you know, the name Donkey Kong, when it was released, Universal Studios actually sued Nintendo. Uh, back in the early '80s, um, because of the use of the Kong name, because they claimed ownership of King Kong, uh, but the judge ruled in favor of Nintendo. So it's kind of funny now that after this like million dollar lawsuit, and also we saw it in The Wizard, where the you know finale is set in Universal Studios. That Nintendo not only have and a super...
1: King Kong is in that as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, maybe that was part of wow. the deal. It's just like, well, okay. Part of the deal is that you do have to put King Kong in a Nintendo movie. (laughs) But yeah, Super Nintendo World having obviously Mario and and stuff at Universal Studios in Osaka. And obviously the Mario movie coming uh, out as a Universal production. But I I don't know whether Nintendo are doing anything really to celebrate 40th anniversary of Kong. There is reportedly a game in development from the same team as Super Mario Odyssey. Which had references to New Donk City and Pauline, the you know quote unquote damsel in distress. in the original game was a, was a character in the mayor of the city. Uh, in that,
1: I thought it was really funny when that was announced because people are like, oh, good for her. Like she's she's a made up character. <laughs> <laughs> she's like people are like, oh gosh, what 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 was she doing now? I mean, it's great. It's a lot of fun to see her, and I'm happy for her.
0: But she's not real. Yeah, but it's one of those like unexpected. You know, yeah. nostalgia hits where but no one was even thinking about, you know, mm. her being a thing. and
1: She's married to an orangutan now.
0: <laughs> We're all waiting to see what's happening with Wart and Tatanga, um, all these years oh, yeah. since so.
1: I'm not even joking. <laughs> I wanna know what happened to Wart.
0: Was he just um... a dream after all though? Hmm. Maybe he's just like like still in Mario's subconscious.
1: But then shy guys appear in I think what has to happen is like Mario goes and spins like a little metal dreidel thing, like an inception. And he realizes that the last 30 years where he's been flying around in raccoon suits and driving carts with his enemies and, and doing massive parties on giant birthday cakes, that was all just a dream. <laughs> and he wakes up an old man filled with regret. Gone on a bit of a tangent again. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but yeah, um, true. No, no, no big celebrations for Donkey Kong 40th anniversary yet. So we gotta pick up the torch, we gotta to, um peel that banana,
0: <laughs> peel that dying banana
1: <laughs> for the 40th anniversary. Shigeru Miyamoto's been saving a bit of banana for 40 years <laughs> and he's gonna open it in celebration. <laughs> That is my dearest witch for the next Nintendo Direct, <laughs>
0: the unveiling of Miyamoto's four decade old but not <laughs>
1: just on the plate. He's
0: um... not going to eat it.
1: Oh, go on, Shigeru. Sorry, Donkey Kong, you're just not a draw anymore. Ooh, ooh, ooh. No. Hey, he's still got it. We've already said spoilers, spoilers for the film, spoilers for. This film, which has like two titles because it is called The King of Kong on screen, but on the video box and everywhere else, it's called The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. And I find that kind of annoying, (laughs) but it just reminds me of Ballistic X vs. Ever from last time. But I saw this film around about time of release and it really got up my nose. And I think it was to do with the whole constructed reality you mentioned. So I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I just noticed loads of little tricks that that really felt like the story has been forced a certain way. And it's difficult because this another subtitle of this film could be Billy Mitchell, what an asshole. <laughs> he's giving massive Bill Lumberg energy from the from Office Space. Mm. You know, he's going, yeah. Would you like to give me? That TPS report. So in this case, he owns like a, s- a hot sauce company mm-hmm. slash restaurant chain, I think. I don't know. But he's a real prick. But still, like, they position the other car- main character of this piece, um, Steve Weeby. Mm-hmm. Is that correct?
0: Yes. <laughs> During the film, people call him Weeb and he corrects them and it's Weeby.
1: So they position him as the real underdog. But, like I said, he use all these editing tricks to perhaps really accentuate that. And, and they play with the timeline a bit. And I haven't looked into it more. But at the time, I was like, I'm not sure I'm totally on board. I mean, it it, it pulled the wool from my eyes and I realised that documentaries don't tell the literal truth.
0: There is always going to be a degree of that with any documentary because, you know, it has been edited no matter how, what raw footage there is. You know, as soon as it is... Constructed into any shortened version, you know, and even just the idea of shooting stuff and then pressing stop on the camera, it instantly is a choice mm. which is made, and therefore it's no longer considered reality. I'm sure Werner Herzog has talked about that kind of stuff a lot. As someone who goes from documentary to fiction fairly uh, regularly, you know, something like Grizzly Man was another example of a big kind of blockbuster documentary in that sense. You know, following in, in its centric main flawed individual in Timothy Treadwell but using footage he himself shot as well as footage that Werner Herzog shoots and you know using what to use from his own archives but also the stuff that he films himself is also comments on him as an individual and a character so you know there's all these different things going on in it and definitely this is one of those films where there is a story which has been constructed. And, you know, the original intention of the filmmakers was to do just a general documentary about the competitive gaming scene. And while they were doing all this filming, you know, this kind of idea of this rivalry, perhaps slightly manufactured, between Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe came to the fore, um, hearing about the sort of challenger and, you know, trying to break through in order to log a high score on Donkey Kong etc so you know the the genesis of the project and the end result has changed quite a bit um and what we see is definitely a you know a sliver of the sort of 350 hours or so apparently that they they shot uh, around that and actually it's interesting when this film was premiered i think at sundance film festival in 2007 at the festival itself uh there was also another documentary called chasing ghosts beyond the arcade which is a bit more of a conventional documentary about um i think at the start of the film they mentioned this life magazine photo shoot which brought all the world's well i say america's actually best video game players including billy mitchell and and some of the other people featured in this film and and walter day the uh World Video Game Referendary of Twin Galaxies, which is a sort of competitive high school verification uh, centre. Um, and that documentary is, yeah, a bit more conventional, and I haven't seen it myself, but some people sort of view it as a bit more even uh, in terms of its approach. But should I maybe just do the back of the box, just to give a little sort of intro...
1: Yeah, I have more thoughts on the film, but we'll discuss that okay. after the back of the box. Well, uh,
0: just to say, I've got the Ultimate Donkey Edition um, of Ooh. the DVD.
1: I could, I could go on another tangent about what the heck that <laughs> means,
0: but carry on. I think my uh, copy of Donkey Punch um, <laughs> uh, on DVD <laughs> is also the Ultimate Donkey Edition, but for uh, different reasons. Um, Blimey. So, the... Uh,
1: I did not expect Donkey
0: Punch to come
1: up in this conversation. <laughs> it was just a flashback.
0: But, uh... I just I, I suddenly yeah. remembered it. <laughs> so the tagline is Don't Get Chumpetized. And hmm. Kim Newman gives it five stars and it kits Indie and Iron Butt, which makes no sense uh, if you didn't pick up this DVD in sort of 2007, 2008
1: indie and
0: iron i think it's referring to indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull and iron man as this was perhaps counter-programming to the summer blockbusters that's insane but like when you look at it now it's just like it's and iron butt it's like what does that even mean that's nothing to do with video games
1: (laughs) i just well i i was there and i didn't understand it but
0: yeah Maybe it works better on the box. Uh, Kevin Smith says... You won't see a more dripping or compelling flick this year. Um, so the blurb says... In this hilarious, critically acclaimed arcade showdown... An unprecedented rivalry rots the electronic world to its core. Join novice gamer Steve Weeby On his quest to destroy the top score of gaming legend Billy Mitchell... The uncontested champion of the Donkey Kong world for over 20 years. In this battle of good versus evil find out which one of them can truly claim the title king of kong he's not a novice though steve he, he has a machine in his garage and also they literally call billy mitchell evil <laughs> on the back of the box
1: that's a bit cruel
0: <laughs> ready go
2: I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs. I play video games. It's the constant drive to be the best at something. When
3: you want your name written into history, you have to pay the price.
0: The fact of the matter is, Bill is the best classic arcade gamer of our
1: era.
2: I've probably seen Steve with tears in his eyes more than any other guy I know.
1: Oh, he's just come up short in a lot of things in his life, and I just think, nobody wants to do that all the time.
3: Well, Donkey Kong, without question, is the hardest game. That's a tough machine.
4: People think that the machine is possessed.
3: The average Donkey Kong game doesn't last a minute. It's absolute brutality.
4: Mysterious player from the West Coast, Steve Weep is here. He could beat it
3: if he—he'd have to have a really good game. You want to put a score up? You're competing against everybody in the world. It's not even about Donkey Kong anymore. He's
0: a very devious person. He works things out to his ends very well.
3: Well, Billy Mitchell always has a plan. <sighs> world Record Headquarters to help you. maybe they'd like it if i lose i gotta try losing sometime no matter what i say it draws controversy sort of like the abortion issue
1: we're going to talk about the legacy of this i suppose at the end because obviously how old is this film 2006 it's like 15 16 17 years old or something and like i said before billy is is saying stuff in the dock which it makes it difficult to defend him <laughs> but uh yeah it doesn't really let you form a judgement on the back of that box no i don't know but then he dresses like a dick <laughs> he should just wear a big red donkey kong tie he likes his ties
0: so much well let's shall we shall we frame our two uh, competitors then so yes billy mitchell hmm. is And I think I think there's sort of like the what the strength of the film is, is that they have somehow managed to find an eclectic cast of characters, which is is like the sort of like what you might usually expect in a kind of Christopher Guest film or a sort of Mm. mock documentary. Like you couldn't have like picked a better roster of eccentric individuals
1: yeah, no, you're, you're right. You could make this like a um, Call of the Wind or Best in Show, couldn't
0: you? Since its release, there was like an attempt to make a kind of fictionalised Hollywood version of this, like a remake, but it never really mm. came to pass. And I think, you know, there's lots of issues to play, but I think part of it is just like you can't possibly cast better than what you have. Everything would just be like a kind of, you know, parody version when the original... Billy Mitchell or, or some of the other people you encounter in this film, they're genuine, wonderful, interesting people to have in a film, you know, all of themselves.
1: So as I said before, I it was kind of annoyed me at the time. I still really appreciated though, uh, but this time around I did really enjoying it. I think maybe just living for 15, 16 years with all these constructed reality things, if you, if you put that to one side... I just got to really enjoy, as you say, these these quite well-defined characters. And yeah, it does help that Billy Mitchell is extremely self-aggrandizing and basically gives you his own character bio as he sees it, obviously. What can you say? He's got, what does he have written on his phone? Something like never surrender or something?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like, he's just a, a constantly throwing out these amazing pearls of like self-made wisdom you know his sort of like view on the world and the view on video games is very intense and you know this I think is sort of like opening quote is about how video games are meant to be fun but you know actually they're not (laughs) you know you sort of like actually yeah they can be fun they can be good and all this kind of thing but it's um everything sort of comes across like a life or death situation
1: yeah there's sorry there's bits when i think steve Weeby is like approaching the high score of billy and it's treated like mission control like people are phoning billy he's sitting in his house and it's it, it looks like he's in the room where um where obama watched Osama bin laden <laughs> get shot it's like he's waiting he's waiting for confirmation <laughs> except he's on his own
0: yeah and he answers the phone like world record headquarters <laughs> i i think he's one of those guys so like the opening of the film and like how it how it's framed is that billy mitchell is like one of the original video game like high score champions basically like he went to this life magazine photo shoot as the world record holder for centipede but he also has the world record for donkey kong at the same time and you know He's also got the sort of perfect first person to do a perfect Pac-Man game and reach the sort of like 256 screens of Pac-Man. He's one of those kind of like self, what would you call it? Like not self-fulfilling prophecy, but like someone who's like created this sort of persona and the way he looks, the way he dresses is almost like the sort of like power costume that... It's just like, yeah, I've the world's best documentary. He dresses player.
1: like Alan Partridge. If it was an American Alan Partridge. A porn star beard and like long hair. I mean he he does make it clear that he's not God. <laughs> <laughs> my the bit where he the bit in this film where I my jaw just dropped, he said that and I quote, No matter what I say, it draws controversy. It's like the abortion issue. <laughs> if you're for you're a son of a gun. If you're against it, you're a son of a gun. I am not God. I don't have all the answers. So I have to be careful of how I share my opinions. <laughs> and it's like, blimey O'Reilly.
0: I do wonder sort of like how much of it is for show and how much of it is an act. There's some like, I watched a few special features on the DVD and they're sort of talking about his look and his sort of costume and his persona. And like you saying, he's like a hot sauce salesman and... He wears these ties, which often, you know, often like the American flag or a bald eagle kind of thing. And, you know, when he's asked what his three initials are, when he puts in a high score, it's not tie, as the director suggests, it's USA. Oh, yeah,
1: he's pointing to his tie. What is it? What is it? And yeah, it's a tie he's... with the Statue of Liberty on it. And the guy goes, uh, N-Y-E, <laughs> yeah. New York. That's no. New Year's Eve.
0: N Y E uh but yeah he says like i have latin friends and canadian friends but have to keep america on top so um i think in the like but he talks about his look and you know i i think he might be a a tiny bit more sarcastic and self-deprecating than the film perhaps gives him credit and he talks about his haircut and the fact that like actually you know he's waiting to be like sort of beaten and taken down and then he'll finally get a haircut and and that kind of stuff and i think what he sort of mentions that people say that he looks like uh ballistic ex versus ever's antonio banderas <laughs> for some reason i missed that did he say that I, yeah he says that in the in the featurette but uh then he also says oh, uh, right. asked like who was the actor who played renegade which i think is probably a closer approximation
1: there's a there's a shot of him giving an interview to a, a news person and he's doing like a massive wide-legged power stance mm. and it's and this is what I'm talking about perspectives and documentaries. He's a tall dude. So it is conceivable that he was actually lowering himself. I sound like an MP trying to like
0: <laughs> trying to the... <laughs> explain the scandal that's just been uncovered. Yeah,
1: I was just He's just lowering himself so his head was more in line with the shorter female uh, news uh, anchor. But it just looks like he's got trying to shelve his like big dick energy and it's like a bit weird to look at.
0: But it's like the episode of This Time with Alan Partridge where he's explaining the uh, bronzer that he was wearing <laughs> on the uh, photo shoot.
1: Well, I don't know how else to say this. This is an extremely white film. And I know it's a documentary and you're not gonna see <laughs> but like it just gives you a window into, I guess, the arcade scene, or I should say really the retro arcade scene of of America of the time. It's it's just so funny. The film kind of ends with Walter, the referee, doing a little speech honoring Steve Weeby. Uh, for all his effort and how i mean we'll probably get into like the some of the scandals and drums during the course of the film but he's basically saying a big thank you and you're the best which is a song which gets repeated quite a lot in this film (laughs) um and we the camera pans to like the assembled crowd and it's just like just lots of fat white guys in socks and shorts doing a sort of a golf clap and it just really, (laughs) really tickled me how as you say this is like a viewed this is portrayed as a battle of the giants and it's kind of pathetic at the same time i mean to the film's amazing credit here's the thing you what i had seen this film like 15 16 years ago i had in my head a scene when finally the two of our two heroes billy and steve play against each other that does not happen at all (laughs) and it's still you still it still feels satisfying as a film which is you know quite an achievement if it doesn't have its like you know final battle
0: yeah i mean it's not it is not the karate kid and i think what what's interesting and in how the sort of like relationship between billy and steve is is that it's not an intense rivalry the film posits that and it it positions steve as maybe considering billy a rival but it seems like Billy just doesn't care. Like, Steve is not on his radar in the slightest. It's like, obviously, recently, there's been some football on, and it was England mm-hmm. Germany. And for England, it's like this intense rivalry which goes, you know, decades and decades. Germany actually doesn't care. Germany's rivals are like Netherlands and France yeah. and Italy when it comes to football. The whole sort of, like, England versus Germany thing is such a one-sided rivalry, and it's just the same as this like to to billy like steve is kind of no one um and you know the the fact that you sort of like imagine this sort of you know encounter between them which doesn't really manifest it means that the moment like they've been they haven't shared a single frame on screen at all for the whole film until right towards the end where there's this uh tournament um, which is taking place because it's to get uh, your scores in the Guinness Book of Records and it's taking place in Billy's hometown, it's on his turf so this is the opportunity for Steve and Billy to finally meet and it doesn't really happen
4: hey, Billy
3: There's certain people I don't want to spend too, too, too much time with Video games are meant to be played in a competitive environment, under pressure, organized, where you have to perform literally on demand.
2: Uh, Have you ever seen
1: your husband compete head-to-head
3: in video games? Never. Never. And when you do that, you have far more credibility than someone who says, oh, I did that last week. No matter how good you play tennis, no matter how good you play golf, if you don't play when you have to play, If you don't play when the pressure's on, you're really not good enough.
4: I can handle losing if you would at least compete against me. I'm not afraid to lose. I'm just some no-name guy from Washington. Billy's trying to live up to this, this image. being the greatest ever and and so he's afraid that if he loses that's gonna tarnish him
0: billy uh steve is playing donkey kong billy and his wife just emerge in the frame and it's like kind of electrifying seeing them like yeah i was like together it's like oh my god he's here he's that because he's like repeatedly turned down or ignored like opportunities to come you know, meet Steve in the flesh or compete in person and there's all suggested excuses that he's not prepped, he's not ready, and you know, he doesn't kind of like need to. He's got the high score, so who cares? Um But yeah, Steve basically just goes like, Hey Billy, you know, turning slightly while trying to play Donkey Kong And then again, is this a sneaky edit? Was there any communication between them? Because the next moment it cuts and it's Billy saying to his wife, There's certain people I don't want to spend too much time with and they just trying to walk off don't acknowledge him and then disappear
1: i feel like he did say that but i have to you know i wasn't looking too closely at his lips I well mean, no, i I, film... I think he
0: i think he says all the things he says and i think he says everything in the moment of the clips is just when did he say that was there any other acknowledgement i i don't know i'm just again like at the end of the film when you know as they say like walter day at twin galaxies has given steve like the seal of approval and this other steve steve sanders who's another um sort of video game champion or at least until billy completely beat him back in the 80s and now they become friends but he says there's no question of steve weeby's integrity and ability and when billy is asked about steve he says i'm not familiar enough with the situation and it comes across as like oh, he's not, like, he's, like, no comment, he's, like, completely sort of, like, do I know you, who, you know, about the whole situation? But I think he actually probably doesn't because I just don't think Steve and this whole, you know, quest to unseat him as the Donkey Kong champion is, like, really on his radar. Like, he's aware because of, you know, when he's uh trying to do the high score at Fun Spot, this hallowed amusement arcade ground and billy's not you know deigning the whole uh championship with his presence and instead communicating with like his subordinate (laughs) over the phone you know he's aware of what's going on but he's got all these toadies around him oh it's 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 yeah but yeah he's aware what's going on but i i think he just like it's kind of small potatoes to him he's got a hot hot sauce empire to run
1: (laughs) yeah i i kind of agree with you um and i think the only but the evidence to the contrary is it sort of depends on on, on like on on how it's edited doesn't it because like he i think the one the one evidence to the contrary is he did send a tape to to only be opened if steve broke his record and that was the this is a tape which was sent to his um cohort brian yes um Brian Coo mm-hmm. I think is his name. We cut to there's a title card: Brian Coo's cabin, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> really made it. It was like Renfield and Dracula. It's like Master, Master, I'm in my little wooden cabin with all my mates, and everyone's on their knees eating pizza. And then they watch the CHS tapes that um Billy has sent in. Billy has also said Brian knows to guard the tape with his life, yep. and it's like. You can you can die, but the tape must I, fit. I think he means that. Oh yeah. By my hand if needed. Like if he hit if he got hit by a car walk crossing the street, he'll say, And is the tape okay? <laughs> uh, that would be but the tape is a recording of him allegedly and this is this is I guess we'll talk about that later, but the tape just displays him smashing his record and getting he's like the first person to get a million points in Donkey Kong. And the way the film posits it, of, I'm not sure how, because I'd have to go to a cabin and back to the arcade. But The film posits that he sent that tape to be opened really just to rain on Steve's parade. And that just reminds you of... Um, you've seen Pumping Iron, haven't you? Yeah. With like Arnold Schwarzenegger versus... Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. And, you know, I'm a massive Arnie fan. Arnie sort of like gets invited to Lou Ferrigno's house and he spends the whole time there, like Arnie spends the whole time there negging Lou Ferrigno Mm. at his table Mm. saying, imagine me winning Mr. Universe like again and they're in the same competition. It's just like, fuck off Arnie. (laughs) And basically, and I'm sure Billy would love this, um, he reminds me of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but only I mean... The, Another man who lives the American dream. Exactly. But I mean, Walter, the referee, who's, who seems like a lovely, lovely man. But I think as somebody else points out, perhaps he's too nice and too much of a pushover. Mm. But Walter says to camera, Billy is the closest thing to a Jedi and refers to himself as Obi-Wan Kenobian people. Everyone can does that in the service of a greater good, not to purposely fuck with people.
0: <laughs> you don't know that. I mean, the new Disney Plus series it'll be like Obi Wan Kenobi: The Wilderness Dirty Years.
1: Yeah, it's like it's part Star Wars, part Porky's, where he's just <laughs> getting into all sorts of dirty scrapes. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Sorry, I get what you're saying. Like, it's it's it is does seem to be edited in a really Deceptive way. I don't mean that entirely in a negative way, because as we said, you got a tell a story of a documentary. But um, I, I I really would like to know if he if he if he really felt if Billy really felt that Steve was beneath him, he why did he send this tape to rain on his parade that that day? If that's what happened,
0: before we get onto Steve, we might as well just talk about the other kind of the cast of video game characters as we're in that sort of zone. And it's, he said, Yeah. So, like, like, he gives the tape to Doris Self, who's an 80 year old Q Bert contender. And he, she's the one who delivers the tape at the Fun Spot arcade. And yes, they play the tape uh, live to uh, everyone. And the crowd gathers. And Brian Coo is on the phone being like, Yeah, like, there's a huge crowd. Everyone's like, Mm. You know, n- there's no distraction. Nothing could happen to possibly distract anyone from watching this, like tape, which is a little bit dodgy and is a little bit warped and and you know keeps flickering around about the high scores and things and whether this is an official submission or not, etc. But then, like um Billy's on the phone, back saying, "Not even Helen of Troy got that much attention <laughs> <laughs> when there's like a crowd of thirty people in an arcade." <laughs>
1: It's so funny though. Sorry, that was um, Brian Mm -hmm. um, who he dreams of being the first person to get to Donkey Kong's kill screen on this particular machine. And in case you don't know, the kill screen is sort of the last screen of an 80s arcade video game where it's not programmed to go beyond a certain point. So your character just dies automatically. So this high score... I mean, you literally can't be playing for hours and hours and hours. There will be a point where your character dies, so it's about getting as many points as you can in that time. But Steve turns out to be the first person to do that. And I just loved the look on um, Brian's face as he's sort of saying to camera that Steve was the f- person who got the first kill screen. He just, Brian was completely crushed. <laughs> and it's the... um it's the skill of the edit where you just hold on somebody. It's like, I feel like people like, like Louis Theroux in his documentaries. I think that the skill of a good document, a good slash manipulative documentary maker is holding when your subject doesn't know to if it's time to cut.
0: Yes. That, that sort of like sudden look and then just like, you know, it's a look to sort of suggest, is that it? Is that all you need? But it's also like, can be read in so many ways
1: <laughs> your your mind defaults to over not confident in what they 're saying, and I would say nobody is confident in what they 're saying, especially if no you don't get a response in fact, actually, just starting this episode, I think it was a bit where I made a crap joke and you didn't respond, and I immediately <laughs> lost all my confidence was so like, I mean, hello, is this thing on? I know I was like what what And you like no harry just didn't find that funny <laughs> and but like you know here we are talking about editing we edit this podcast might not sound like it <laughs> but you know we do cut out things to make it sound a bit more like we know what we're talking about and so yeah it's kind of a bit complicated i just wonder if star wars was edited in like a documentary maybe Darth Vader had some good points. You know, he, he you know, we just, we just cut every propal
0: after saying something which sounds bad outside of context. <laughs> it's all about the context. <laughs> My destroying a planet. You have to understand the context. Yeah. You know, extenuating circumstances. Good people on both sides. <laughs> Absolutely. But Brian Koo is uh, running around trying to get people interested in the kill screen. Kill screen coming up. Um, as far as aware, never reached at at Funspot, and I think it's like it's funny because again, these sort of phone calls he has back to Billy, like he considers himself Billy's like prodigy. He's he's only thirty years old, but he s- says he's retired, and he moved to New Hampshire to be near the Funspot arcade. So he's like, you know, embedded in this enclave of you know, nerds for want of a better word and like wanting to be like the sort of the new contender. And they keep on, he keeps on referring to Steve as the mysterious player from the West coast. (laughs) Like it's some (laughs) sort of like, you know, for prophecy has foretold, he'll get a kill screen. But I, I think it's also like the way they talk about Donkey Kong as a game is also part of that. Like, you know, Billy says it's without question, the hardest game. They say the average game doesn't last a minute. Most people never get past the third elevator stage. It's absolute brutality. The fact that, like, each stage ends with, like, heartbreak. Like, you know, Mario is reunited with Pauline and then, like, you just see a heartbreak. It, like, sort of speaks a lot, I suppose, to the player. And they talk about the specifically the Donkey Kong arcade machine at the Fun Spot arcade and people saying they think it's possessed um and then it has more like fireballs and barrels and it's sort of tougher than the other machines so you know it's it's playing on the idea which again sort of rankles steve in terms of billy submitting this tape when billy says video games are meant to be played in a competitive environment under pressure organized on demand and so there's this whole idea of just you know playing it live in a competitive environment is 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 where it's meant to be um But actually, I've got a quote from Shigeru Miyamoto when there was an interview on the Nintendo website, the Japanese website, Mm -hmm. about Donkey Kong, which just speaks to the brutality. But um, uh, he says, I was pretty serious when I was making this. For example, if you were to fall from a height equal to your own body weight, you'd probably break your foot, right? So in Donkey Kong, if you fall one and a half times Mario's height, you die. But later I thought, isn't it better if you don't die from such a thing? So in Mario Brothers, even if you fall five times Mario's height, you don't die. But still, please enjoy this very serious game in which you die if you fall off a single platform.
1: <laughs> yeah, I got to admit, I am not much of a fan of Donkey Kong. <laughs> I mean, I was born in '83, so I wasn't around when it happened. So I do feel I feel like I have played this in the arcades, but. It is really just not fun <laughs> a lot of the time, but I will admit because we played this game for the podcast, we it did gave ourselves a little bit of a challenge. Um, the more I practiced, the more I got into it, the more I enjoyed it, and it is about learning those patterns, as they mention. But I do find it hilarious, as you say. I, I've, I've got Super Mario Odyssey now, and you can jump from the top of a skyscraper onto concrete and Mario's legs just do a little wiggle. And he goes,
0: ooh. <laughs> you know, the, the reason why Donkey Kong, I mean obviously there's all these other games, and I think it's it's interesting that, you know, this documentary and these people are sort of focused specifically on Donkey Kong because of maybe the slightly more random nature of the challenge uh compared to to other games. And it's it's like the way they like talk about it in these hard terms is just like how serious they take it. And when you sort of see the people involved and like you know twin galaxies and particularly the uh, head referee uh, robert murchek who says that um he would preserve the integrity of twin galaxies with his dying breath um, <laughs> um what would you defend of your dying breath rory um my wife oh seriously though <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and also <laughs> the integrity of Twin Galaxies. Okay, okay. <laughs> What's interesting, and maybe we'll talk about Steve Wiebe and, and how he comes into the, the the fold in a way, is that the way they sort of like approach him and the suspicion that they have on him is because they just, you know, he's like this outsider. And in a way, the documentary frames the story as being, this is a film for everyone standing up to the bullies. And it's sort of standing up to Billy and his posse and the way they're like, you know, disregarding the the high school that Steve submitted because they couldn't verify it. They talk about the story where two of the Twin Galaxies sort of referees go to Steve's house and investigate his machine against his own sort of like knowledge. I think we need a bit of
1: context here because we're speaking now in 2021 where I think physical media is not allowed anymore but in this film people are submitting recordings of their high scores using vhs cassette tapes they're filming their screens and then sending them in and like one day and and billy and sorry uh steve sends in a score which breaks the record but because he's using an uh, unverified machine these two you know, lackeys, for want of a better phrase, from Twin Galaxies, as you say, sort of go into his garage without his permission. Is that how I got it right?
0: He's not at home, and uh, his mother-in-law is there and uh, lets these probably nice gentlemen in, kind of like the, I don't know, FBI investigators in um, Danny DeVito's Matilda. Um, Yeah. (laughs) There's this whole suspicion because he got this bored sent to him from this uh rival from mr autumn <laughs> yes roy schilt uh who there's like a history between him and billy and twin galaxies and they sort of disregard him and by association they
1: don't like anyone he hangs out with and because steve and uh what, what come on, mr awesome again what's his actual name roy, roy. schild yeah because steve and roy have just has just done some business together he steve's bought a internal board for donkey kong from him they immediately feel that something is up and it really stuck in my craw at the end of the documentary i mean you mentioned the line when i think somebody says you've redeemed yourself like steve never did anything wrong they perceive him to have transgressed because he got material off Mr. Awesome. Off Rory. It really well, bugged me.
0: Well, I don't know. I, I I watched um one of the featurettes on the DVD is is a little extract from Mr. Awesome's uh, disinformation video or something they call it, or Mr. Awesome's that... Guide to Girls. Yeah, that's where
1: he's dressed like a sci-fi Nazi from the 70s. Uh,
0: something to that extent, but he's basically trying to get people to buy his book about how to pick up girls. All I'll say is that with this disinformation video on the DVD, he goes into detail about his pickup methods, and it sounds pretty unsavory, involving taking photos of whoever is sucking his cock at any one time. I want you to remember that
2: no punk bastard ever got a gnarly piece of poom tang by being sensitive and considerate.
1: He calls himself Mr. Awesome. He drives the Awesome-Mobile to fame and fortune, as he says on his website. He's jealous of Billy because Billy gets attention from beautiful women wherever he goes. And essentially, he wants to be like Billy.
2: I mean, I've seen the world champion cherry pit spitter on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And if that guy should be on The Tonight Show, at least I can just just be a celebrity for a day I didn't even get that I got no recognition at all I didn't get to be on any television shows it's like it's like I was a ghost and I just don't feel it's right and I I just want a little recognition I'm not necessarily to become a celebrity hey Billy how
3: you doing how you doing Billy how are you I'm perfect haven't you read
2: Twin Galaxies does
4: a lot to promote Billy because it's very much to Twin Galaxies' advantage and very much to the whole gaming hobby's advantage for Billy to become a star.
2: When Walter Day published that book in 1997 with all those egregious errors in there, Bill Mitchell saw it, and he knew they were wrong, he knew they were mistakes, but he tried to pretend like they were real to try to take my missile command score down.
4: Roy and I met at California Extreme, and he, he knew that I was had the capability of Beaten Billy on Donkey Kong.
2: Steve Weavy is the one who had unlocked the secrets to Donkey Kong to figure out how to get a million points. He offered to buy me a
4: board, a Donkey Kong board, because mine had broken and I didn't have the money. So, you know, it was, it was a mutual beneficial relationship. He would buy me a board, I would have the opportunity to beat Billy's record, and at the same time, I would take Billy down and, and seek Roy's revenge on Billy. Um, and it seemed good at the time, you know. And unknowing to me, I didn't know the history between the bad blood with Roy and Billy. And To attempt something like this for the sole purpose of taking down one of Bill's scores, it's like a, a, a slap in the face.
2: They would say that I somehow monkeyed with the board or something, they, but they wouldn't have any evidence. They looked at the board, they took the pictures of the board, and they couldn't find anything wrong with it.
4: The fact that the right gummy substance on the right ship out of all of these chips in the right spot, on the right board, I mean, I I have to say there's a conspiracy here.
3: Any board that's worked on could have a problem.
4: To find out that this gamer potentially has a fraudulent score has upset Billy's master plan
2: for what he wanted to do. I mean, when you come home and see two guys in your garage and you know why and you've learned why they're there, and you got to start from a guy like Bill Mitchell, I mean, you know, who's done crazy thing after crazy thing after what's the next crazy thing, you know? Billy Mitchell was one of the evaluators, which seemed a little strange that the guy whose records Steve is competing against is deciding whether or not Steve's records are valid.
1: Even if that board is a completely legitimate board, Roy's taint on it is too strong.
2: Roy Schultz a liar, Roy Schultz a cheater, Roy Schultz full of crap, Roy Schultz out to get me and he's crazy, blah, 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 blah.
1: Well, he's threatened Bill Mitchell physically. Uh, In fact, he he has threatened Bill Mitchell's life.
2: No, I did not. I did not. I did not. He threatened his own life (laughs) to make it look like me because for whatever, to gain leverage with other other people, I don't know. He figured what he, well, he knows that my Missile Command score is genuine. No matter what I say, it draws
3: controversy. Sort of like the abortion issue. If you're for it, you're a son of a gun. If you're against it, you're a son of a gun. Uh, I'm not God. I don't have all the answers. So I have to be careful how I share my opinions.
4: So Roy just was trying to help me out, and I accepted his offer. I just, you know, it's just too bad that association with him, I never thought that would hurt me.
1: So yeah, it's, it's funny though, isn't it, that this weird character... Steel seems like maybe less weird than, than like Billy and all these
0: other people. You know, what's interesting and about the fact that, yeah, they treat Steve as this outsider. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, usually this would be the inverse. Steve is like the norm. He's got a family and kids and a normal kind of like I'm saying normal in inverted commas. But like he would be the sort of like. Yeah, it's a sort of hero character, but he's going up against like a bunch of nerds. Usually these kind of Revenge of the Nerds film is like the nerds would be ganging up against like the norm who, you know, his baseball dreams were dashed and um, he was like trying to be a musician and all this kind of stuff. Um, I-, I get it. Like, you know, the-, the sort of Twin Galaxies posse, as it were, the The approach is very kind of gatekeepery, and... You know, as a result, I think going forward, when you have this kind of gatekeeping and you have this niche hobby, um, inevitably there's going to be some sort of like infighting amongst each other uh, as soon as it tries to sort of break open or they try and get a bit more official and get some legitimacy and things. Everything gets sort of like catty, there's infighting and everything kind of blows up and falls apart. But it's just interesting how this like, is framed like, he, like Steve is the underdog Whereas in any other movie, any of the other characters, they would be the underdog, and Steve's like the the norm, like normy guy who has like a wife and kids, and you know.
1: I think though that's what that's how the film succeeds. That's part of its charm because you are you're used to the bullies being, you know, any of the quote unquote bullies in this film would have the shit beaten out of them <laughs> by actual bullies i think that's is that sort of the unusualness of it mm. uh, i think works and yeah they still even though you're completely right but Bill, billy and steve aren't so different they're just they're guys with jobs and, and gaming is just part of their lives but they manage to i think you know he is treated like the outsider so he feels like the underdog
0: yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, it does come down to editing a musical choice. Like we get, you know, in terms of Steve, we get a lot more focus on his backstory and focus on his life outside mm. of things. And, you know, this, the way it sort of like posits him is that he was someone who was laid off work, had a lot of time on his hands. So he decided to set up a Donkey Kong cabinet in his garage, but they talked about when growing up, like his dream was to be a musician He was like a baseball star, but then like at the crucial point in the game, he couldn't pitch uh, and then sort of like dogged by injury and never quite made it to number one. It's been a life of near misses and missed opportunities and not quite being on top. And, you know, Donkey Kong setting a high score world record became his thing to be the best at because he sort of, looked up the high score in Twin Galaxies and thought, yeah, I I could probably do that. And he kind of does. And Billy is positioned as the
1: ultimate sort of
0: person to beat as well. Yeah. I mean, like you you couldn't pick a better person to be top of the Donkey Kong construction site or whatever it is you're playing on in that game.
1: I'd love to see a mod of Donkey Kong where it is Billy at the top (laughs) and Steve's like jumping
0: over barrels to get there. I don't think that could possibly be submitted as an official high score on a modded version of the game.
1: (laughs) I'm just, I remember there's a bit in the film where all of Billy's, like the second half of the film is all about how Billy doesn't show up. And as you say, it could be that, like, why, why should he? Um, I still think he was an asshole for sending in the video to rain on his parade that night um if that's indeed what happened i think that's what did happen it's just it's just very difficult i feel like i'm tripping up over myself trying to i don't know we're living in a post-truth world (laughs) (laughs) um but what i'm trying to get at is the film really tries to impress upon how weird it is that billy he's meant to be so good at games but he never is showing up to pick up the gauntlet as it were Mm. I don't even think a gauntlet is really thrown. It's more like other people saying, "Could you, could you like come and like play games?" like, so, no, I, I'm great. I did it once. Don't need to do it again. Um, but then he sends this videotape, and Steve does say, "Oh, like I've kind of been pressured to come here because my machine's not good enough, and I've beaten the record on their special machine, and Biddy can't even be bothered to do that." Yeah. Um, so that's that's lame. And then i keep trying to talk about this bit whether all in, all of billy's mates he's not exactly billy no mates is he he's <laughs> like, he's, well, there's a difference between mates and acolytes isn't it so that's interesting yeah. so all i'll say all billy's acolytes are sort of gathered in this restaurant and then steve also goes into the same restaurant and one of billy's i think it probably is i don't know it's not brian it's it's steve sanders it's some, steve sanders who um at the, right at the top of the film, Billy says, I told Steve that he is the man he is today because he encountered the wrath of Bill Mitchell. <laughs> um, because, as you say, Billy smashed Steve's crap high school. Steve gets on the phone to Billy and says, I don't know how, but Steve Weeby is here. He's coming to this restaurant. And it's, it's treated like a big coincidence. And I'm watching this thinking i think the filmmakers got steve Wiebe to come in here you know, but i think it's think, billy's restaurant it is yeah there was a poster a very 2006 poster on the wall which had uh an american evil plus a flag and the and the title was whatever it takes <laughs> <laughs> on the wall
0: wow um yeah it's it's the whole idea that like yeah like they're busy having a party and then Steve sort of randomly shows up with one of the other like competitors. It's not like a completely like him on his own sort of like thing, but they're sort of saying like, I don't know why he's here. He was like, you know, he wasn't invited. And it's just like, it's a public restaurant, dude. (laughs) It's like, I can eat where I want. If I want some hot sauce and Ricky's famous hot wings, I'll have them here. (laughs) Yeah. But it feels a bit dad's doorstep challenge, which uh, people who don't live in
1: the UK, it was like, who who did the Daz doorstep challenge? Shane Ritchie, I think.
0: And I've I think Danny Baker originally.
1: Yeah. So like some sort of UK celebrity would show up on people's doorsteps to get them to wash their clothes of Daz. But there'd always be this interior shot of the person opening the door and finding the the host on the other side of the door. And you're thinking, Why was there a camera crew in their house already? <laughs> so it felt a, a bit like that constructed reality you're talking about i mean again it's about how documentaries are made there's at the end of the so the finale of the film is this guinness world records challenge and the uh, and steve weeby is told that this has to be his last game because no one else is playing nobody else is is playing arcade games right now it's just to see if he can get to the end of this high score. And he loses one of his lives, and we cut to him going, oh, crap, and one walking away. And there are other people in the background playing games. So obviously that was taken from an earlier take, and I'm probably just really pissing off documentary filmmakers. <laughs> I know how documentaries are made. It's all about coverage. It's about, and it's about the essence of something rather than a literal truth. But I can, I can feel the construct a little bit more of this film. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I really feel learning about what's happened since then will extremely colour my view of <laughs> of this film because, you know, there's certain there's a lot of smoke and I've not seen the fire
0: yet, if you know what I mean. Well, I, I think maybe one of the most sort of sage comments in the film doesn't come from Billy or even Steve, but comes from Steve's daughter, who says on the way to the tournament, I didn't realise the Guinness Book of Records was so important. Some people ruined their lives to get in that book. I know. (laughs) And like, uh, Steve's Steve's like, "Uh, yep. (laughs) (laughs) But also like, uh, the the videotape that Steve submits with his like, one million uh, record-breaking score has his like, son screaming, What my butt! Don't and, uh, play! Don't play! Yeah, so, like, two things
1: there. I was f- fantastically impressed with Steve's focus. There's a scene when Steve's in the arcade and, like, one of Billy's mates kind of really distractingly sticks his head over his shoulder and starts talking to him. And he says, oh, I don't want to distract you. I don't want to divide your attention um is is greg bond was his name he was one of the other i guess high school competitors and i would have just lost my nerve and died i mean even just approaching the skill screen i'd have lost my nerve you know knowing that i was on my way there but so he's got a focus but also that kid screaming wipe my bottom had sort of hinted at something darker like they interview (laughs) his wife <laughs> no, they interview his wife a lot a lot, who's incredibly supportive, and I kept noticing times they sort of cut her halfway through a sentence. And that could indeed be because she started to waffle a bit more, like like we tend to do. But also they could be just editing just before she says but, you know. Like, oh, it's really important to him. Uh, I really support him. Cut, and then beyond the cut, she goes, but like I feel like I'm a third wheel in this relationship with Donkey Kong.
0: You could say the filmmakers wiped her butt.
1: (laughs) God. (laughs) Yes, you could say that, and you did. You did. You thought, I'll say that, and then you went and did it. (laughs) Uh, You know, we do see him. He's got a good teaching career and stuff. Um, I'm sure you're going to tell me what's happened to him. <laughs> at the end of this movie,
0: uh, you, yeah, I, I wouldn't keep on sort of saying that. I don't, I have stuff, but I am not gonna. <laughs> I don't know, like every single like itty bitty thing. It was
1: awesome the soundtrack was pretty good. Needle drops though, when they talk about how Steve Wiebe used to be in a band, they started playing "Pictures of You" by The Cure, and I am like, oh, he's in The Cure. He <laughs> <laughs> kept that quiet. Yeah, he should have pursued his like
0: career of The Cure and not Donkey Kong. Well, actually, after this film, he did release an album, I think, called The King of Song.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> I see what he did there. I wish he hadn't.
0: I think in in the sort of discussion as to the sort of entertainment value of the film and, you know, how much of it is a construct, etc., when it comes to documentaries, I think it's an interesting point is to look at the career of the director since, so Seth Gordon uh, is the director of this film, but he moved quite swiftly from documentary to narrative comedy feature film. Uh, so some of his uh, subsequent directorial uh, offerings have been Four Christmases, Horrible Bosses, Identity Thief, and the Baywatch oh big Bay screen uh, adaptation with uh, wow. the Rock. He's also directed various episodes of sitcoms such as Parks and Rec and The Office, The American Version, etc. So definitely he's moved into a maybe more comfortable realm of uh, comedy entertainment um, rather than quote-unquote exploiting real people (laughs) for that.
1: I mean, I feel a bit happy for him because none of those films, I don't even think I've seen most of those films, so I can't really comment, but They, as we said at the start, I feel this feels like it almost feels like a comedy movie. So I think his skills are well placed to transfer to those narrative
0: movies. But I think it also says a little bit in terms of the continuing relationship that Seth Gordon and Steve Weeby have. And that, yes, like in a lot of the DVD extras, the featurettes, it's always Steve at the filmmaker Q&As. It's not Billy. And mm. uh, Steve also makes cameo appearances in Horrible Bosses and Four Christmases and even makes an appearance in Pixels, which was it's actually produced by Seth Gordon. And I think in that oh. film, and I'm sure we'll get onto it in a future episode, the Peter Dinklage character is, I'd say, a little bit of a Billy Mitchell.
1: <laughs> that's a good, that's a good insight, You, Billy Mitchell, you. <laughs> use that
0: later and get like a bamboozled look but i suppose in terms of like further reading as it were there are some other documentaries which um have kind of come out since there's man versus snake the long and twisted tale of nibbler uh which also features appearances by walter day and billy mitchell about um two nibbler competitors trying to go head to head in a high school competition, and also there's the King of Kong, uh, which mm. is like a kind of self-produced—I going to say documentary—but it's basically just like a compilation of, like, it's it's a very self-produced documentary on on YouTube, which is kind of like a takedown of the documentary King of Kong and how it's just a pack of lies. Um, but also a larger takedown of Billy Mitchell and Twin Galaxies as a whole, and how Twin Galaxies needs Billy Mitchell and feeds off him. And, you know, there's controversy about how there's uh, other people who did have Donkey Kong high scores not mentioned in the documentary because supposedly they were unverified and maybe not documentary worthy. And basically there's this always controversy about twin galaxies and how it potentially exploits gamers and how billy mitchell is not all he's cracked up to be and subsequently so in the in the postscript of the documentary it mentions that in 2006 steve set a new world record of 1 million 49,100 points which was 1,900 points more than Billy's high score but then subsequently Billy took back his high score and you'll see in the intervening years a lot of back and forth between Steve and Billy in terms of determining who has the best high score in Donkey Kong.
1: I don't know if this film helped the situation (laughs) I think it exacerbated their quote-unquote rivalry
0: basically there's like a dispute in terms of there's a high score by another player which actually beat billy's high score from the 80s which was logged in 2000 but is sort of ignored by the documentary to sort of posit this rivalry between billy and steve and without getting sort of too bogged down into the minutiae of the high scores Lots of back and forth between Billy and Steve logging high scores, but then new competitors coming onto the scene the whole time. I think most notably there's Dr. Hank Chen, who's a plastic surgeon who also is very good at Donkey Kong. Um, Apparently,
1: I like how you said he, Dr. Hank Chen, who's also a plastic surgeon and is also very good at Donkey Kong. I don't know what being him being a plastic surgeon <laughs> really has any relevant. But I guess you are defined a bit by your career. He maybe he holds several world records, but with different, he's got a different face every time, and no one knows.
0: And it rumbles on. Most notably, flashpoint of the whole ongoing Donkey Kong high score news was in 2018 when. Twin Galaxies decided to remove all of Billy Mitchell's records from their website. And Guinness World Records followed swiftly afterwards. So there was a lot of dispute, apparently, about the high score on Pac-Man that Billy set in 1999 and the Donkey Kong one in 2005. People in the community discovered, apparently, that Mitchell had those scores on video game cabinets which were running MAME emulation software, not the original arcade boards as should be determined, and as what, you know, became part of the uh, discussion with regard to Steve's own high stores, the validity of the circuitry of his Donkey Kong cabinet. So he was stripped of those titles.
1: When you say stripped, I like to imagine that like he had to go to a temple and they were like ripped off his person somehow. <laughs>
0: Yes, begin the Twin Galaxies um, record. Uh, Dis- dissemination, Ray. Immolation, I don't know. <laughs> um, Mitchell sued Twin Galaxies in uh, 2020, I believe, for libel and threatened to sue Guinness World Records. Guinness World Records has since, in 2020, Based on existing evidence and newly sourced eyewitness testimony, plus some new expert gameplay analyses and hardware verification, reversed their decision, reinstating Mitchell's high scores. But Twin Galaxies remains resolute in not recognising Billy Mitchell's Donkey Kong and Pac-Man high scores anymore. So it goes back to potentially steve weeby still being the first person to log a 1 million high score in donkey kong i don't know the you know at the moment steve weeby's most recent high score which was logged in 2020 puts him as 11th in the twin galaxies ranking at time of recording but it rumbles on. So Billy Mitchell, I think we can still determine, is still clearly very good at video games. Um Twin Galaxies, however, does not recognise. Billy Mitchell scores no more. Well, when we played earlier, um I got 148,000
1: points. So I've got a little bit way to go. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like such a racket, doesn't it? But that's what makes for good viewing. So, you know... I've, I do really enjoy this film. I, it feels like we've been picking it apart in terms of its believability. It's kind of like when The Crown comes out on Netflix and they, people people want to have like a, a title card saying, this is all fake, this never really happened. And, you know, I can apply the same logic to The Crown as I apply to this. I just Wikipedia it. I just look it up. And I know what the actual story is. It doesn't mean I can't also enjoy... The product and i think it does open a window into i guess what was then the current gaming retro gaming scene but now like 15 16 years hence it's just a really interesting window into that time and so i think it's like a strong recommend just on on that basis and you know it is just really entertaining and full of (laughs) like i say he's an asshole (laughs) it's just like i don't care if it's constructed it's nice to see him being i don't know taken down a little bit i mean i think (laughs) it sounded like such a wet flat
0: (laughs) i mean i think i think we've been on record to say that we do enjoy a good video game movie villain and yes like billy mitchell is definitely in the shang song dr isaac's (laughs) um m bison sort of mold in a terms of like this very cocksure Quantable. like boo hissable um you know villain for want of a better word but you know that there, there is a real person behind there which makes it slightly different but that's the thing it's 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 yeah as a documentary it's questionable but as entertainment it's very enjoyable And yes, it's perhaps left a a trail of devastation in its wake (laughs) and rocked the video game community. But as you say, this is like a snapshot of an era where the idea of high score gaming competitions was like maybe a bit like strange, but, you know, esports is a billion dollar industry and Twitch streaming and, you know, everything that's come since, you know, it's sort of blown the holes of like competitive gaming idea wide open and seeing this little snapshot this this little enclave of you know twin galaxies and billy acolytes and this amazing set of characters you know i hope they're all doing well (laughs) um and having run you know through gamer disco like video game club nights and stuff like that you do encounter a range of interesting folks (laughs) and i think um you get a whole bunch of them here and yeah delivering amazing lines of dialogue wittingly or unwittingly so speaking of
1: i guess the truth (laughs) (laughs) lawsuits lawsuits and the uncovering thereof the truth um our next film is the adaptation the live action adaptation of the classic video game series phoenix wright ace attorney so i don't know throughout this entire documentary i was imagining people going objection and <laughs> i think it's a, it's a good it's a good segue this one and <laughs> one of your finest one of my finest segues and it is a game series that i've played as well so that's the plus so we'll be discussing that on the next episode but in the meantime
0: how can people keep in touch of games on film you can find more information about the podcast and video game movies on our website, slash podcast. You can also contact us by email, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com, and we are on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at gamesonfilmpod. You can also contact us and find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And all episodes of the podcast are available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts. So do like, rate, review, share and subscribe. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot.
1: Well, I'm off now to practice my Donkey Kong high score while doing a power stance and swishing my long shoulder length hair. And I guess you're going to go and Wipe some young kid's bum? I just can't think of anything. Like I don't
0: know why I said that. Um, yeah, john juniors.
1: So until next time, I've been Harry.
0: I've been Rory. Thanks for listening. Bye. Daddy! I don't
4: believe this is happening. Wipe your bottom? Yeah. I will in a second, bud. What? Okay, bring me some toilet paper, buddy. Derek, I got I'm gonna get the world record, Derek. Derek, I'm gonna get the world don't record.
2: play, don't waste!
4: Derek. No. No. Derek! That's
1: you stop it! Me.